Welcome to the Winner Circle with Derek Pang and Bianca Leger. On this podcast, we'll introduce you to real-world heroes who have stepped outside their safe, known worlds to pursue and live their win, their best lives. This is a choice we all get to make. The intention behind these conversations is to uplift, inspire, and empower you to move forward with greater faith, trust, and belief in yourself on your hero's journey ahead. Let's go, hero. All right. Hello. Hello. (laughs) Welcome. Welcome to a new episode of Welcome to the Winner Circle. On today's episode, alongside Bianca Leger, sitting in the host rule today, uh, we interview a writer, a storyteller, and a wolf whisperer. Welcome to the Winner Circle, Wolf Haven. Thank you, folks. Bianca and Derek, it's so great. I'm, I was so happy when you reached out to me to invite me on this, sh- uh, on your podcast and talk about, you know, my, some of the, my experiences recently in the last couple of years with my creative journey and storytelling and wolves and yeah, yeah. let's Yeah, <laughs> this is super exciting because we always interview our guests and talk about their hero's journey and you're, you have a major theme going on with the wolves and um, just to give a bit of context for the people listening as to how we got connected, we met mm-hmm. at the I Am Festival um, that happened at what month? August, um, August of 20. 20- Thank you, time. Um, and we got to hear some of your stories there under a tent. Um, and yep. it was an amazing setting. And um, and we got to have a bit of a taste of what it's like to hear your stories as Wolf Haven. And I think today we're going to start with you sharing a little bit about where this name comes from, what it means to you. And I'm just excited to hear about how this comes into creation. Let, let's hear about that. Right. Okay. So I've been a storyteller for about seven years, Uh, but I'm going to start 25 years ago when I was hiking in the white shell with my brother. Mm -hmm. We're out hiking the trail out there for five days, camping overnight in our tents. And we were way out in the middle of nowhere one day and we came up onto, uh, it's very rocky and then swampy there, right? You get high rocks and low swamp. We came up onto a high, uh, kind of a high area the trees cleared out and just, I don't know, 25 meters, 50 meters, less than, you know, less than 50 in front of us was a wolf standing there. And like when we saw it, it was already it knew, probably knew minutes, hours ago we were around, like who knows, right? But it was just, this moment was incredible. It was just, you know, it was so calm. There was no fear. And like it, I don't know, it almost seemed like because it had no fear and showed just this calm and serenity, like, just another day in the forest. I felt that too, in a way, you know, and um, so me and my brother, we saw it and it just, you know, maybe stood there for 10 seconds and it turned around and um, we, we, and kind of like jumped off this, the edge of the cliff. We walked over there later and saw, looked down and like, this is like a cliff. It looked like it just jumped off to its death, but obviously there was some kind of secret wolf there, right? So um so we we took off our packs and had a good breather and we're like whoa there's a wolf crazy you know so about 10 minutes later going down from the high future into a gully of trees not too thick um you could see 10 15 feet away and we got down there and like 
we saw three wolves walking about 15, 20 feet just through the trees. They just kind of bypassed us. And so we saw that end of that wolf, uh, which is a good chance. I mean, I'm not going to say for sure, but the alphas often roam from the pack, right? And go fast and they know the land right really well and stuff. So we might've seen that alpha and then down 10 minutes later, we just ran into the pack. They were doing something down there. And um, so that was, that was about 25, I'm trying to remember 1998, uh -huh. yeah, five years ago. Uh, so since then I've had tons of wilderness adventures. I go, I used to do a ton of backpacking. So that's when I saw that, we saw that pack, my brother and I. And, um, now I go in my kayak, my sea kayak. I have a 19-foot uh, sea touring kayak, which I take on big lakes. So I've gone on uh, Lake Superior, Lake of the Woods. I spend a lot of time on uh, Lake Winnipeg is where I go the most. And uh, I'm going to tell you why. I've been on Lake Manitoba, Winnipeg Osis. So like all the big water nearby here. And like they're like inland oceans, right? You, I mean, you can get some pretty crazy waves and and amazing, amazing wildlife experiences. And uh, so there was this, so over 25 years, or I say 23, because two years ago this, the big thing happened. Um, so 23 years, I'm all these adventures and I'm finding protected areas on the map of Manitoba. I see, I love maps and I look at map of Manitoba and I'm like, look at this island way out in the middle of this lake, Birch Island on Lake Winnipeg. It's a protected area. It's called Birch Island. Uh, I don't remember. <laughs> protected area something. And way out in Winnipegosis, the only way to get there is by, by boat, you know, and I have kayaks. So I'm like, I want to go there and see why this has been chosen to be a protected area and what makes it. And, you know, when you go to those areas, they are stunning. They are chosen because these ecosystems are amazing. Like when I landed on Birch Island in Lake Winnipegosis, which was a 10K jump from the mainland to the island, 10K of open water, um, we landed and we saw frogs that were like this big hopping all around the shoreline. And I had never seen frogs that big. They were all over the place. Like we were stepping out of our kayak and they were like right by our feet. And we were just like, man, this is like another planet right here. But it's in Manitoba. You know, um, so adventuring like that and having amazing wildlife experiences. And then in 2016, I went to this island on Lake Winnipeg and I saw by myself, and I do a lot of solo trips, and I saw tons of wolf sign, like tracks and scats and like uh, little like uh, wolf pup prints and wolf adult prints uh, all on the beaches of this, this island I went to. And that was 26, but didn't see any wolves. Then in, in uh, 2020, COVID happens. I, so, okay, so I become a storyteller seven years ago. And as I become a storyteller, I know I want to, I need to write a story about wolves. I have not, this is still since 23 years I saw that wolf pack, but I've read a lot. I read a lot of fantasy. I've read a lot of fantasy. So a lot about like wolf shapeshifters and, werewolf stories I love, like anything to do with wolves, you know. Um, so I knew that I needed to write a story about wolves, featuring wolves as a storyteller. And I also knew that I needed to, I wanted to create a storytelling name with wolf in it. And I didn't know what it was going to be yet. 
So in 2019, I wrote this story. I did a ton of research. I'd been reading since coming a storyteller and um, more about wolves because I knew I was preparing for the story and did tons of research. I found out about this wolf that lived in Yellowstone that was a descendant of the Canadian wolves that were transported there from Alberta and BC to restock the wolf population in Yellowstone, which had been exterminated in like 1940 or something by the park staff there and so this wolf which i in my story i called it the story was called she wolf and it's just this amazing story and this this wolf like it's a true story the wolf was observed a lot by scientists and even park guests like taking video and and like video of her hunting like a 800 meters away from a, the highway in yellowstone national park like they just were doing their wolf business and humans were watching them and they adapted in this crazy way where they just were like had this wild wolf life and people could watch them like almost daily in their activities. And uh, so she was one of these wolves and they watched her, but, and she wandered all over the park. But, um, she had to leave her pack early because she was really a strong wolf. And that's the way wolves spread out is that if there is a wolf that grows up and they show signs of being an alpha, like that they have a strong leadership and that they're ready to breed and that they're capable of breeding and being like that leader because a wolf pack only has an alpha pair that breeds. The rest of the pack works towards them and the pups. Uh, and uh, male and female alphas co-lead the pack. You might have a stronger one. So she-wolf definitely was like the strong, strong alpha. Any, any other wolf around her, like she was definitely stronger than any wolf she encountered in a very specific way because she had like, so she was pushed out of her pack at a quite a young age because she was showing these signs of being leadership. And it's just the natural wolf world where the, the other wolves and the parents are like, okay, get out of here. It's imagine if you had a kid, they grew up to be like a teenager and they were like, oh, I'm going to have a family now and stay here and live with you, mom and dad. Right. <laughs> world today it's like no you go get your own house and have your family over there right so wolves are like that they're like go have your family over there so they pushed her out and she went on to like learn she she spent an ex an extra amount of abnormal long time being a lone wolf and being a lone wolf is really risky um because you don't have a pack to help hunt with you and, but she learned how to take full-size elk down by herself and she did it over and over again. Like most lone wolves don't do that. They can't take down a full like elk or moose sized thing by themselves. But she learned to do it by herself living on her own. And then she just, she just kept doing it. Like she it was something that became normal for her to take down full size prey by herself. And she eventually met these two male wolves and wolf, the wolf world uh, in mating and love is very dynamic, much like humans, where very strong, strong, unique individuals will have multiple partners. Like we, you know, uh, we, I know a lot of people in my life who are polyamorous and, you know, who are open in that way. And the wolf world does work like that. And um, she met, essentially met these two males when she was three, they were younger than her and they both became her mates. Like she had 
pups with one of them, but they both were like loyal to her until she died and were like smitten by her. And uh, because she had this incredible charisma, like some wolves will show their dominance, like alphas have to show their dominance, right? But some wolves don't have to show it very much. They just through the way they behave, just through the way they, you know, um, carry themselves in the world and relate to the other members of the pack is so, can be so powerful. And wolves will have different personalities. So to say wolves are aggressive or wolves are calm, I mean, could we say people, humans are aggressive? Humans are calm. Those are not true statements, right? Like as they stand on their own. So you can have aggressive wolves. You can have calm wolves. Like, and some dominant wolves are aggressive. They use their size. They use their just fierceness. They'll growl and nip and stuff. And she never had to do that. She only had to ever like, you know, it's just very subtle, like a like a a submiss a submissive wolf. If there's a dominant wolf when they first like kind of reconnect or encounter each other the the submissive wolf will sometimes just be like an inch lower the way they have their posture and that's indicating that communicates to the other wolf i see you i see you as my my caregiver my parent my leader right and uh and she would just like put her nuzzle on top of her of the wolf and like and like and greet him happily whereas other Alphas have to like would pin other wolves and remind them who's the boss and stuff. So she and she went on from being this lone wolf for quite a few years to having a pack of 13 wolves at one point. And um, you know, it's an incredible story. So this story I called She Wolf. It was to celebrate wolves and my passion for wolves and the strong female spirits in the world, the strong females who are out there doing things on their own without the world you know saying here's how you should do it or here's what you can or can't do because she wolf went out there and she just started she's just like oh, i gotta hunt and i gotta feed myself so i'll just get that big thing and she just did it you know she didn't have anyone telling her oh no usually wolf packs do this okay so <laughs> wait um so you know so I, that was a celebration of female strong female spirits for me and like which is connected to a whole other kind of epiphany that i had Okay, so that was, so She-Wolf wrote that story in 2019, started performing. Uh, in the spring of 2020, I was in the middle of a storytelling program that I had organized at the Millennium Library and there were other storytellers. Every two weeks they were coming and I met and I got to tell my She-Wolf story. Well, I was gonna do it twice, but the program got interrupted by COVID. Everything got canceled. And I had a plan that spring to travel to Yellowstone, Wyoming and Montana. I was gonna go down there for two or three weeks and just write and try and see if I could go and find wolves somewhere that, you know, but I just wanna be down there and write and like just have a, a nice, like just connect with Montana and Wyoming and find some of the, go into the mountains and stuff. And some of these places where I've read the stories about wolves and especially she-wolf, right? Um, but that trip got canceled. I was even planning Airbnbs and stuff. Um, so that summer of 2020, everything was canceled. There were no events to go to. There was nothing really there, you know. So what did I do all summer? I went on camping trips and kayaking trips. Uh, and I went back to that island that I went to in 2016 and saw all those prints. 
in 2020 and by myself in the spring, saw tons of evidence, tracks, everything all over the place. I created track traps. I would smooth the beach out every night before bed. And in the morning, I could see what I had walked up and down. And uh, multiple wolves, like every day, at least one wolf was patrolling the whole border of the island, like the whole thing. And it was about 16 kilometers long. Um, and uh, I had quite a trip. I, that was a solo trip. I had quite. A, I didn't see any wolves on that trip in 21st in the spring of 2020. And I had a crazy thing out on the lake. I got into some rough weather, and I probably got into a situation. It was the closest I ever got to like dying on a solo kayaking trip. And it just it woke me up about being out on my own, and like that I have a daughter, and I have a whole world of people that want me to be alive and you know uh so it kind of woke me up with being out there by myself but it so writing she wolf going out there seeing the evidence again you know and then almost like having this crazy life life-threatening experience on the lake and then i went back there in august with my friend ethan and on the first day out when we got to the island we we're probably a couple hundred meters off the shore and we saw a wolf uh, on the beach. And it, at first we thought it was a bear because it was black. It was just dark black. And um, I mean, wolves are coming all kinds of colors. The only colors they don't come in are pink. No, that's not true. I can't even think of a color that they don't come in because some wolves have all kinds of crazy hair. But uh, imagine, you know, humans have just blonde and dark and wolves are the same but they tend to be more often gray and grayish you know kind of the average is gray right and that's the name of the species gray wolf too um but we saw this black wolf we thought it was a bear at first my friend Ethan, we were quite a ways away um and my friend ethan is i was like ethan and um you know which is kind of dumb because it hurt us <laughs> uh, so we, it was on, it walked on the beach for maybe half a minute and then took off into the trees. And by the way it moved and stuff, I could tell it was not a bear. And we looked at, we walked on that beach the next day and saw the wolf tracks. So that was the, and that was like, that was amazing. Like, and we were far away. And I just, just the fact that I saw it and then we walked on the beach. We spent eight days on the island and my friend Ethan is an indigenous bushcrafter. Uh, he's Ojibwe, or no, he's Cree, but he's he's a bushcrafter. He can light a fire with a bow drill uh, and a and a hand drill, um, and um, so we spent eight days on the island just soaking it in. It's paradise. It's amazing. There'll be some photos on my webpage, um, and when we left, we were there eight days, and on the way back, right near where we saw that black wolf. There's a sand, this is near Hecklin. If you're out, if you've ever been out there, there's a lot of limestone cliffs and sandy cliffs. So this island has a lot of sandy cliffs and some of that are 20, 20 feet tall. And there's been trees like in some spots. So we we're paddling and we saw four wolves walking along the top of this 20 foot cliff in the trees. And then the trees suddenly spread, cleared and we saw them right on the edge. And it was three pups and an adult like a gray grayish white adult and three pups that were at least half the size of that adult and um, and it was amazing like and we were way closer this time the adult saw us um 
they actually disappeared in the trees. And then we came, kept going. They were going the same way along the shore that we were paddling, right? So we're paddling and hoping to see them up. And sure enough, they were there. They were taking their time. And But then the adult came out on a point of rocks and saw us coming. And she took off into the woods. And I thought, okay, she took off with the pack, the three pups, right? But one of the pups stayed on the shoreline. And I slowly paddled. And I'm watching this. He's on the rocks. and he, Or it is on the rocks. And I'm slowly paddling, just like thinking, just be as quiet as you can, get close, you know, see what could happen here. And I just would paddle every once in a while and just float. And I got, I got so close to that wolf. I got, I don't know, like 20 feet, 30 feet in my boat and it was on the shore and it stopped and looked at me directly at me a couple of times. It yawned a few times, which is a, can be a sign. It's like a place filler sign of anxiety uh, humans do it sometimes, fake yawns. Um, it's it's an interesting thing. I read about <laughs> that animals do it. Cats, dogs will do it. They don't really need to yawn, but they'll do the motion. <laughs> um, and it was just amazing. It was just this, and I know I've, like, from what I know about wolves, like, I caught this wolf at an age where it did not understand what I was. Like, it, those, the, the, the experiences those wolves have with humans on an island are people in motorboats. And because I'm in a kayak, where me and my friends are in kayaks, they, they don't know what that is. Like people don't go there in kayaks. Like it's, it's hard to get there. It's crazy water <laughs> to get there, to go over open water to get there. And, um, and then the next spring I go there and I saw, I swear to God, I can't be a hundred percent, but I come on, to right nearby that same spot. And I'm by myself, the sun is setting because I didn't leave the launch until like 5 p.m. And I think it was the fall. And I saw this adult wolf walking on the sand. And that was the year the water was super low and I just slowly paddled close and close. And I got within 50 meters of this adult wolf. And we just had a five minute staring contest. Like it, I had to leave that wolf behind. I had to turn away and go away from that wolf because I had to get to my campsite before it got dark. And I would have be setting up my tent in the pitch black in crazy wilderness, you know, <laughs> with wolves and bears live there. Uh, so I like to set up my tent in the light, but the sun was setting behind it and this wolf just stood there. And you know what it did? It looked at me, walked along a bit, acted nonchalant, looked at me, and it was the same wolf. It was the same wolf just grown up. And the next day I encountered that wolf. And so like, and I've had now 12 encounters with that wolf pack, um, pop, uh, up to four individuals at the same time, uh, both from my boat and being on land now, uh, where wolves were coming down the beach, walking towards me. And then they just, you know, I noticed them, they noticed me. And they took off like it's been incredible and I will tell you that traveling in the wilderness and having wilderness experiences and especially now these wolf encounters is a huge part of my spirituality and never up until the last five six years I was never any kind of spiritual person I never had spirituality but these encounters and I've had I could go on and on about the amazing wildlife I've had encounters I've had with all kinds of other animals, eagles, and 
birds and ducks and otters and uh, coyotes and bears. Uh, on a trip two years ago, I saw five bears on one trip, kayaking trip. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> um, yeah, so these, see, so so I'll describe, tell, try and explain this to you. Sorry, I'm just going on and on. You guys haven't had a chance to ask any questions. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> um, making it easy for you. Uh, so when they, when you see a wolf thriving in a habitat, it indicates that that ecosystem is functioning from top to bottom, that it's a healthy ecosystem because the wolf is the apex predator. So all the energy, all the calories, all the nutrition goes from the bottom, from the little minnows and, the, and the, the, the weeds in the lake all the way up into the, the wolves, the bears, and the eagles, who are also the apex predators, but of the sky. Um, and everything about that island has to do with the lake, too. The water makes life on that island happen. It's an amazing ecosystem. There's a, there's a documentary out on Netflix right now called uh, Island of the Sea Wolves about a island off the shore of BC. And if you watch that, it is very similar. Take away like the ocean kind of stuff. And it is very similar. Bald eagles, bears, wolf pack living on the island, uh, walking on the beach. You got to watch that documentary. It's amazing. Um, but it's very similar to that island. And everything, the water like creates the life. And the, and most of the food that these, these wolves are getting are dead fish and birds that are coming up on the from the water. Um, that's I think most of the life on the island that's where how the system works all you know the the birds and the animals die they get washed up on the shore or on the island and then everything else consumes it right um so that so the ecosystem is healthy when you see a wolf and when I see a wolf like in the seven Ojibwe teachings if you're familiar with uh the wolf is humility um, and that, I mean, that's a huge thing. I can, it just, you know, when I think about the wolf, I think about humility. And when I see the wolf, like even before I put humility on my list of my highest values, and I could talk about my values later if you want. Um, but when I see a wolf in the ecosystem out there, and I don't know if you guys have ever encountered a wolf or something really wild and it just blew you away like your mind was like it went somewhere else right I don't know and I see it it humbles me because I see perf I see perfect like no in the human world I see a lot of doubt and a lot of flaws and a lot of misconception and a lot of miscommunication a lot of this is the way the world should be but everyone else is acting this people are acting this way and ever since I was a kid, you know, I just was like, what's going on around here? Everyone's saying one thing and doing another, you know? And uh, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, right? Just everything, you know, there's these ideas out there about how to be healthy, but so many people just aren't able to reach them, weren't able to reach them. And when I was a kid, I didn't understand what I just said, but I had a feeling, right? And now when I see a wolf, there, none of that exists. There is no doubt. There is no flaws. There is no questions. It is perfect. It is true. There's nothing false about it. 
that ecosystem, that wolf, that encounter is incomparable to what we, you know, what our minds, what our human society is structured on. Like you, you just, you know, there's, it, it can't be questioned, right? <laughs> and to me, that became my spirituality. Like, to sh- and it humbles me in a way that it just reminds me that I'm, there's just this one little bit of life on this huge, big mother Gaia, you know? And, and, and also it makes me think this, it makes me think, okay, here's the wolf in the, this amazing ecosystem working from top to bottom because the wolves are thriving. What is my place? You know, I, my species used to be an apex predator, still is, but we, that's in a really convoluted way. In this urban Winnipeg, this city that I live in and that I try and escape to escape all the time, what is my place in this urban system? Like I look at the wolf and its system and I look at myself and my, this system, this society, and I'm just like, I have no clue like where I, it just does not compare, right? I mean, I definitely have that understanding and a very good grasp of who I am and where I, my place in the world now. And those encounters with wolves and my, have just brought that humility to me. And yeah, it's changed me forever. And so Wolf Haven. So I was thinking about how to talk about the island to people and I call it Wolf Island now and I'm not going to tell you the real name because I I don't know I'm not sure if I'm being selfish or if I'm being good and trying to make sure people don't suddenly start streaming over to the island to get there you can only get there by boat so you have to be pretty adventurous but I call it Wolf Island but I was thinking about calling it the Wolf Haven and like I had said before my I wanted my storyteller name to have wolf in it Mm-hmm. And my last name is Havens. And I was, I said Wolfhaven a couple of years ago. And I was like, Wolfhaven? Are you kidding me? Like this, this name just popped up. And, and at this point, now that I've had these 12 encounters and I've been talking about these wolves and celebrating them and have plans to do more. And just this synergy of, my wilderness experience encountering that wolf pack 25 years ago becoming a storyteller celebrating wolves through story re-encountering wolves and now going out there every, the five subsequent trips i've had i just went there twice first and didn't see wolves five subsequent trips i've seen wolves every time uh-huh. and i know that i've transitioned i changed the more time i spend out there spent out there the more that I just allowed it to be and bring my frenetic urban monster energy there. You know, my, 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 you know, cause when we go into nature, it's often, it's just like, whoa, right. It's just like, and, but it take, it can take us a while to calm down and to get into it and to really be able to be in touch with nature and to be like a wolf and to be able to be in a place and just know when anything is moving or slightly out of ordinary, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so the more time I spent in nature, the more time I spent on that island, 
I just knew, I just knew the smells. I knew the, the feeling, just the vibe, the energy, the sounds, the movements. And when I'm on that island, I see so much more than I used to. I just, life everywhere. If small, tiny little bugs to wolf bears. Like, and I just am so alert and attuned to it now. It's yeah. definitely something I saw, you know. Incredible. It, it, it really changes you. And I, I don't mean to interrupt. I just have. I you should ask so a question. <laughs> I have so many questions for you and I want to get to everything you want to share but can we just pause for a second and talk about this synergy you're talking about and this feeling of clarity that comes to us in a place of wilderness where things just make sense because yeah. you you put it to so many things like the fact that people say one thing and they do another and there's an incoherence and not everybody is aware of that. We don't even realize that we're walking in confusion. So you talk about your experience in, in the wilderness and that how that changed you. I would love to hear about how this has changed your character and also, what do you mean by seeing perfection in the wolf? What does that perfection look like? And what is that quality of humility? So uh, this is kind of a large question, but mm -hmm. I'm, I'm interested in your experience of what, what was the last, what was the second part of the question you asked? You, you asked, uh, how did it change my character? Yeah. And then what do you what do you mean by the perfection in the wolf okay right okay so well let's let's go to the perfection in the wolf so maybe maybe the word perfection is not the per perfect word because like what is perfect right what is perfection who what can define that um what one thing i envy about wolves or wildlife, and I mean, I can't say this for sure, because I don't know, and there would be some zoologists and scientists who would say, you, that's not true, but I imagine a wolf who's been out hunting for two weeks and hasn't gotten anything, and it's cut, and it's found a place to sleep, the pack, and has found a place to sleep for the night, they've been out hunting all day, they've been hunting for two weeks, and have gotten hardly anything, and this is norm for the world, this is norm for wildlife, right? When they, when they settle in under that pine tree for the night, they're not thinking, oh my gosh, we haven't gotten anything for two weeks. Oh, it was us. Oh no, we're still. And they're not thinking, oh my gosh, are we gonna get anything tomorrow? They're going to sleep. They're just, they're just, I'm a wolf. I'm going to bed. I feel hungry. That's that, you know? Whereas we have to, obsess and ruminate and think about oh my gosh we haven't had food in two weeks oh my gosh you know like and I'm just using that one example but you know what I mean like that we just wildlife and those animals don't have to go through that they don't have all this perception of what is should be and tries to do all this stuff to make it happen when it is you know it's to try and make a perception happen like right a, a perception of what we should be as people, what we, how we should structure our lives, what we should do, you know, the wildlife is not thinking about that. And, you know, and things like, for example, like hatred, 
doesn't exist in nature. Hatred is a 100% human-only thing. Their animals do not hate. They defend themselves. And sometimes they get sick and don't know what they're doing, just like humans. But hatred, to hate, to, to, to start to put, I tell stories in your head about something that's the other. And to build stories in your head about them and how they're different and how that's wrong and how they shouldn't, I don't like them and I hate them. Nature and animals are incapable of that. We, yeah. And I mean, so there's some of the things that makes me say that, you know, nature is just true. It's the truth. You want the truth? You go out there and immerse yourself in nature and just open yourself to it and watch. Watch the, the, the bees and the geese and the seagulls. And if you get to see some coyotes or wolves or bears and watch everything, look at the trees and the plants. And um, it's true. It's the truth. <laughs> and, you know, when I see a squirrel running along the sidewalk and, and you know, they're, they're the truth, too, because they're, they've always lived here. We're just sharing the land, right? <laughs> and now let's bring it back to you. That's the second question. Bianca asked the first question. So how did the change, how did that change my character? So there's quite a number of things that have changed my character. That is just one of them. And in a way that was just one of them that just was like a sign of you are doing, you are on the right path. Like, so becoming a storyteller seven years ago was a huge thing in my life. Um, I was doing personal and professional development coaching, which we had talked about, I think, before we started, maybe, where I was helping people. I was coaching people on public speaking, interpersonal communication, um, resume design, coaching for interviewing, things like that. Um, and actually, at the time, I was toying with the idea of becoming a men's, specifically men's coach, and, and it, coaching things like for men and like how to be a gentleman and how, you know, and, and adding that kind of like personal behavior thing on. But at the time I had, I mean, I've ne I never had a successful relationship. I was single at the time, right? I had been married and had a kid, divorced. And I really under realized something that I couldn't coach people until I had a full healthy understanding with how I related to women and how I related just to other people. And at the same time, I, so, so I was like, okay, I need to learn how to be a good partner. So I started reading books because that's how I learn everything. I just read, get a book out of the library and read it. And I'm like, oh, this is really cool. Start doing these practices or mental health things, just meditation and all this stuff. I just teach myself, right? And um, uh, what was I talking about? What book was I just gonna get from the library? Oh, the question about how the wilderness changed your character. Yeah, so the, um, uh, I was talking about humility and I was talking about storytelling and I was talking about, I'm just trying to remember where I was. Okay, so the storytelling, oh yes. So I discovered this book, these, this series of books about how to be, how to thrive in a relationship, how to be a good partner, you know, and one of their things that was like a concept, a thing, a theme among all their books was, you know, it was basically, okay, forget about the other person. Let's start with you, right? You know, 
work on yourself. If you want to be, if you want to find a healthy person, you got to be healthy. If you want to find an interesting person, you got to be interesting. If you want to find a dynamic person, you got to be dynamic, right? Um, so, and then the next message was one of the key things to a healthy life for any person is to have a creative pursuit, a creative expression. And at that point, I had not done storytelling. I've read a ton. I, I was really good at telling jokes. I was uh, coaching people on public speaking. I get, could give academic presentations. You know, I was, I had quite a bit of speaking skill. And uh, so becoming a storyteller, it was true. And once I started becoming a storyteller and really got this message of a key part of being a healthy person is creative pursuit. And it doesn't matter if you take it and sell it or share it really wide, but as long as you put effort into it, and if you want to share it, that's good, but you don't have to, right? But as long as you put time and effort to it and you can put emotion into your creative expression. And it was true. And within, right around that same time, I was, I decided, okay, I'm done with the coaching. And I was in the military for 10 years in the first half of my life, another lifetime now, it seems. And I spent a lot of time telling people what to do, bossing people around. When I was coaching, I still felt like I was sort of doing that, you know, still in that mode. And I was like, okay, I want, I can, I want to be a storyteller and teach people things by telling them interesting stories, you know, not by saying, here's what you need to do to be better, you know, by telling them stories about my life to, by writing, creating stories that have messages or, and some are just, just super fun, awesome stories, you know, that make you laugh. Um, and it was true, like that choice to actually do that. And I'll tell you, um, like you, you guys love talking all about the, the hero's journey. I mean, that's your, every episode, you bring that up in some way or another. And I mean, that was a huge thing I discovered in my practice to be, become a storyteller. I did a lot of study of story creation, story writing, character creation, character arcs, story structure. And I discovered the hero's journey through a writer called Christopher Vogler, uh, who wrote the writer's journey, the book, the writer's journey. Um, I actually have it right here. Where well. I discovered the hero's journey, um, and this he was he worked with Hollywood, and like he discovered the hero's journey through George, like George Lucas, who did Star Wars, who and George Lucas got it from Joseph Campbell, right? And um, so I started just getting really fascinating with this idea of the story structure, the monomyth, this structure that has existed in stories in the world for thousands of years, right? And now I do workshops on it. And so let me tell you my storytelling, and this builds into my character, my character change. Um, my dark night of the soul, my central ordeal of my storytelling journey, because your hero's journey can apply to your whole life from birth to death. It could apply to one venture in your life. It could apply to this year right now, some health issue, right? You can see the steps in many different areas in your life and different types of journeys you're going through. So for my storytelling, the central ordeal, which often, which a key feature of that is kind of a death and rebirth, whether it's a, uh, a metaphorical death and rebirth or the hero of the story actually does seem to die or disappear. That happens in a lot of popular movies. It's like something, an explosion happens 
and you don't see the hero for the next 10, 15 minutes of the movie, right? And you're just like, okay, what happened? Or whatever, like the death and rebirth. And that that's usually at the center of the story. So what happens is that I, I get my storytelling start at Manitoba Museum. I'm giving uh, storytelling uh, educational program tours. So I was, uh, it was during the day I was volunteering. Classes would come in and they would, and I would take a class or half a class around a few of the exhibits. You know the Manitoba Museum, the Nonsuch, and the Hudson Bay Company stuff. So I had to learn all about those things and then give these class tours and like teachers would be there and I had to follow this thing. And then I got into it and I started adding my own stuff that from my own research, like stuff that I hadn't been taught by the other staff to teach that I just brought, you know, added. And I was like making a fun and I just thought, you know what? I knew storytelling was a huge part of public speaking. If you want to give a good presentation, you've got to have a story. It doesn't matter what you're talking about. Technology, charity, something you're passionate about, a job, a business, you got to have a story and connect it with the folks, right? So I was like, I've already been doing this in my public speaking and my present presenting, my instruction that I've done, teaching I've done throughout my life. So now it's time to make it fun. And I started condensing those tours of like the nonsuch. I wrote a story about a crew member of the nonsuch. I did the research about who this guy, this guy could have been, what his background was. I created a backstory, why he was on the voyage, the things he did to get ready, all historical. And I did that story at the nonsuch. And I did that as a volunteer. And I actually had like a bunch of the high-end museum staff. I tried to get the most highest quality staff at the museum to come and watch me for my like practice because I wanted to like challenge myself. I would, I'm always like, I want to pick, pick the worst possible audience to practice this to so that I can just do it well, you know? Um, so I did that story. And then the next year, a year later, the museum offered me a contract to do, to write stories at Christmas time for the month of December or the, the Christmas break, the school Christmas break, the museum gets busy and they like highlight things in there and have a special two weeks during the Christmas school break. So they hired me, they offered me a contract and I like told them about, we talked and about, talked about it. And then they offered me this contract to write Christmas stories. And the theme was Christmas in the 17th century. And I was gonna write original Christmas stories for the set fee and there was a date and we had to go, we had finalized the contract and they sent it to me and I was going to sign it, bring it in the next day. And that day before I totally panicked. I was like, there's no way I can do this contract. Are you kidding me? I, I who, who, a storyteller, there's no storytellers for a hundred miles. Like, are you like, you know, who's a storyteller as if I can write something and present it, you know, I'd already been doing some storytelling, but I just, had this huge doubt and I was I think when I went to sleep that night I was my decision was I'm calling him in the morning saying I can't do it you know personal reasons but the next morning I woke up and I had to deliver the contract over there at some point signed and I just went through the motions of just doing it I was just like okay that those thoughts you thought last night are just their thoughts they can on their own you don't have to entertain them and I just like signed the contract put it in and I wrote three amazing stories and delivered these stories to families and kids and if you've ever been in the non-touch gallery sometimes there was like geez there was a hundred people in there 
just people running everywhere. And I would gather people and say, come in this room. And I would tell them stories. And uh, it was, you know, it was amazing. That was my dark night of the soul where I had just this, it like death and rebirth. I mean, it was very short, maybe over a couple of days or whatever, where I had, it was probably longer than one day. It was probably like building up, like, can I do this? Can I do this? And it, but the day before I was like coming up with what I was going to say to get out to say, I can't sign the contract. And that's such an example in a non, you know, it's definitely not a death and like explosion where someone died and what happened to it, but it was definitely this moment of like, this, it's like, do I go forward? Like that could, if I hadn't have done that contract, that could have been the death of my storytelling career, right? It could have been. And I know that going through that and going in and then having the incredible reward after. And now, I mean, that was six years ago. And now I've come so far and the skills I've learned and the things I've learned and the events and things I've done now have just, and so the synergy and the way, so that, I mean, the storytelling really changed my character. And through my practice of learning about the hero's journey, and I've done workshops on these now, presented workshops on the hero's journey about a tool for story creation and about self and for self-growth and self-reflection, right? We can see ourselves in these steps in whatever venture life place we're at. And I've done workshops on that at festivals and, and uh, I did my own last year. And uh, so just that was a huge thing. It was, you know, I've read a ton in my life and there were, you know, when I was a kid, I lost myself in books, right? Uh, I was escaped through fiction, learned, a lot about stories and just what I like to read and, and whatnot. And um, okay, I just lost my place. Where was I? Where was I going? <laughs> uh, sometimes I was going on a tangent there. Hey, you ask a Karen. You're asking, you have this question about how the wilderness changed your. Yeah. So, so the hero's journey, it, what it, that got me ready to be open. I start teaching it and they say, when you want to master something, you should teach it, right? So I was starting to apply these things to my life. I started to teach them. And then it, I just had this moment of like a few months where I just started to be like, you know, all these tools, Matthew, you have all this knowledge. You're starting to pass it on. And suddenly I just became the message that it was sending out. Like, I just felt like, and the wolf, the wolf encounters were right around the same time. And so to say that, you know, I had that encounter, those encounters and came home and suddenly was this, it was like just so, it was all this stuff that happened in the last two years. And what's crazy about COVID is that it interrupted a lot of people's life plans. And there's bad stories from that, from COVID and people having to change things up. And it interrupted plans that I had, big plans, but it also provided this different path, this different opportunity to discover that wolf pack. And you know, have you ever heard that luck only happens to people who are ready, who are prepared, right? And I just, with so, so I, I, I just know that 
when I saw started to encounter those wolves, I was at a place in my life where I was just like, any any positive spiritual energy, I'm just sucking it in. I'm just like, you know, I'm just like letting it in. I'm just letting it in. I just was at a point where I was just more open to it. So the power of these encounters, you know, just just sat with me and resounded in me and just, you know, it's hard to describe how it, how it changed me. It just, you know, it's just, you know, I talk about it. You saw me, I like get like teary and stuff, you know, I, it's just so powerful, you know, these to, to think about those things and the humility. And uh, I'll tell you about this one. I, on Lake of the Woods, I was on a trip, a five day solo trip where I did 150 kilometers in five days in my kayak. And uh, which was a, a huge physical challenge, but I, I saw some incredible things and I'm paddling along and I saw some ducklings and I saw them quite a ways ahead of me. I'm in my boat and I saw them because they start flapping. You know how they can't fly, but they can flap and kind of run along the water. Uh, so I saw them doing that. And then I saw the reason they were doing that because a bald eagle was hunting them. And this was like just I saw this all happening in front of me and I was just far enough away where they weren't concerned about me and they were doing their thing. And I saw this bald eagle go at these ducklings three times and they were running every time it swooped there. Right. And I, and I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, go ducklings. But I'm also like, go eagle because it's nature. And I can't be like, Oh, the, the ducklings didn't get away because that, no, that's me judging. And, and you know, anthropomorphizing like putting my human emotions projecting onto it right i'm gonna allow it to happen so i was and i saw that and like it was amazing to see that and the eagle never didn't get anything because the standard ratio of hunting success is like one in ten times usually or less um and that was just that incident alone like i will never forget that and like how amazing it was to witness that interaction, you know, these, and it, and it humbled me. So, and just so many interactions with, with animals like that. And what makes, when you go out into the wilderness, when you start to have these interactions, and this is what, this is where the difference is. Most of the, most people encounter wildlife and especially predators and they are surprised by them. And usually the predator knows, knows they're there, right? They know the human's there before the human knows they're there. And the human is like, sees them and, and the, the animal often will, will take off, right? Now, when you go into deep nature, animals don't know about humans. So you can encounter an animal that has lived four or five years and never encountered a human, right? four or five years, you know, the average lifespan of a wolf, like six, seven years old is an old wolf, like, right? Because there's, it's, nature is tough. And if you, so you see these animals and they are curious. Some of them are like, what is that? And you have, when you have animals coming to you to see what you are, that is when it changes. Like when you don't, aren't like trying, let's try and see a bear today. Oh my gosh, the wolves are with us. Try and go see them, where they're actually coming to investigate you. And 
Here, a great example of this is bald eagles. When you're in a place, uh, and it's, Manitoba is just so many bald eagles everywhere. They live on the tall trees on the edge of all our lakes. Um, and Wolf Island is should be, well, it's Predator Island because the, the bald eagles are at the peak, the apex predators of the air there. And um, yeah, just to, uh, trying to think how I was connecting wolves and, and, uh, and bald eagles, but just it, the power of those experiences and seeing those things happen, I just, I can't, it's hard. It's impossible to find that anywhere else. You know, it's, it's just impossible. And so that, that character change, and uh, like I said, just I, I got to a point in my life and the spiritual change and I was open to it. So to, right around the time when I first saw those wolves, I was starting to get into this. I, I wrote a list of values uh, that I now define my life and how I behave against. It's a list of 11 values. And I also have a vision statement that I wrote out. And when I wrote that list of values out in the spring of 2020, I had nine. And now I've added two and humility was one of the ones I added. I didn't, you know, wolves have been in my life, but then I just, and I knew about humility being one of the teachings, but I just hadn't incorporated it yet all. And once I really relearned and was reminded of that humility was the teaching for a wolf, it was like, okay, you're humble, dude. Like you got it. Humility has to guide you all the time, you know, and my list of 11 values, I'll, I'll tell you them, our friendship is my number one value. And I have a great story about I Am Festival and Maurice and Tracy connects to them. Um, but friendship, love, empathy, creativity, nature, physical and mental health, truth, integrity, diversity, mentorship, and humility. And you know, I could, anyone could just say, oh, those, these are my values, but each one of those words, I unpack, I dissect, I explore what that value is, how to play it out in my life, what it, you know, what are the challenges that people face when they try to be humble, like mentorship, like what is a mentor, what, why, you know, all those things I totally unpack. So let's take, Let's take time to explore one of those. Um, the one that brings the wolf humility. Can you kind of get into why the wolf is known? I think I had to, the sun has set since we started. I think I have to add some light. Is it really dark here? Um, right. I can still see. <laughs> I, had a, I had light. Yeah, it's perfect. <gasps> there's a wolf. Wait, there's like a, wait that's going to like shine right on. Look at that. It's like a sunbeam right in my face though. <laughs> Great, that's great. It works. Does, is it? I don't know. <laughs> let's, get into, let's get into why the wolf background there. Okay, a little brighter. Wait, no, I, I don't want that. I'm gonna be all <laughs> setting is important. I'm gonna be all have a good storytelling without a good setting. I gotta have the vibe, you know, the atmosphere. That's yeah. not bad, eh? Wolf, humility. Humility. Uh so. Yes, so humility, the, 
I mean, I did, you know, like I was saying before, just the humbleness, uh, the humility is that the reason the wolf represents humility is because the way it, the wolf, like a good, healthy wolf will be a part of the wolf community. And will, like I said, that the whole wolf pack works towards the alpha pair who, who have the pups. So the whole community is working towards the next generation. And a good wolf will, you know, do anything it can to make sure the pack is healthy, right? And share the food and, you know, a really good alpha will spend time with all members of the pack, even the, like the omega, because it's it, something in the wolf world you'll have is you'll have, you'll have a whipping boy or a, you'll have the little, you know, the village, the pack idiot, or, you know, they just become the lowest on the pole and it, it, it's hierarchy in a wolf pack, but a really good alpha will make sure that that, that wolf is not bothered a lot and will relate to it in a in a certain way. And when you look at the whole system, the, that wolf is necessary like that omega wolf that that low end of the pole that all the other wolves if they are feeling they need to vent some frustration will do it on that wolf and it, it it seems like it's so unfair but it serves a purpose and a really good alpha and that's i was talking about she wolf earlier and that was a trait she showed was just humility you know just that like it was almost like this awareness that no awareness that she was the alpha or the boss, right? She just did her thing. She just was, she just was the way she could confidently hunt and provide for herself and was so strong and just, I mean, she, while she was a lone wolf, she wolf was like hunted by other packs because any territory she moved into, she was now a threat to the, female alpha right it, it would just be like if suddenly you know someone came in your house and was like starting to like talk to your partner like you know it's like get out of here what do you right as some stranger um so she was often hunted and like and she, but she was always just so smart and could get away and knew how to use the ground and you know she was just so smart she was just at being a wolf she was just killer right she was awesome and other wolves could feel that energy, right? Of her confidence, of her just knew knowing what to do all the time. And um, and like I said, like she just, it's the, you just see this, I don't know, you can see in wolves like that, you watch footage of them or you encounter them and they just seem humble. They just seem like, they're just like, I'm just doing my thing, you know, no big deal. I'm not, you know, like we, when it, when it comes to predators and stuff, we often have these conceptions. Like I tell people about spending time on this wolf island and sometimes people's first reactions are like, oh my gosh, that sounds so dangerous. You know, you're on an island with a wolf pack, right? But I mean, I could spend a, 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 a bit of time telling you why that I don't feel you know, in danger there at all. Like, because I know knowledge is my, is my huge, gives me huge power. And I understand, 
I tr really try to understand what the wolves are, are sense, like what I'm doing, like what they're thinking about me and how they're, what I'm doing to them when I come, like, there's a lot of things, like when I go out there, I don't howl, I don't pretend to be a wolf, because that's baloney, they're going to be like, what is that human doing over there, like, I could sound as just like a wolf, and they'd be like, why is that human howling like a wolf, like, ridiculous, right, so I'm not, <laughs> you know, I'm not out there pretending to be a wolf, um, when I'm out there, and I mean, I think this all relates to humility, because it makes me think, it's like, I'm the guest. This is this is their world. My world is Winnipeg. Like even though I don't want it to be, and this I mean, also my whole my world is every the whole world, and it's awesome. <laughs> but I've spent most of my life in Winnipeg, in the city, you know, uh, growing up and living and working. Um, so, by definition, by time, this is my life. This is my environment, right? And when I'm out there, I very, very much feel like a guest, even though I do experience times, like I've said, especially in encounters and where I just, you know, how I described how I just got used to the environment. And, and it's almost like I became part of the environment, right? Like I felt like I was supposed to be there or was allowed to be there, you know, like that I was at a right vibe of energy and that nature was like, okay, you're cool. Just hang out. <laughs> whereas other people you know like I said they bring their urban monster energy into nature with them and they can't let it go sometimes right they're just <laughs> and they and, and they can't slow down and see things right and um, you know when you when you see animals moving and when you see predators when you see animals where you can kind of see expression like you know it, the more kind of different an animal gets from us we can't see as much emotion and expression right but like chimpanzees gorillas bears wolves we can see a little more you know you can get to deer and stuff like that moose you can't it's really hard for us to tell but when you see a wolf and it's just like i'm just walking here this is my home you know i'm just going to the going down to the pond the supermarket to get some groceries you know and when you're there you're you're there is always a part of your human mind that's like okay i'm in the wilderness i need to survive i need to be safe i need to protect myself i need to what do i need to do next like there's always this feeling of an umbilical cord that could be snapped with civilization and what could happen right i mean there are moments and there are more times for me where i can let that go and just be there and just be there and just have it soak into me but there's always this kind of I'm the outsider my life is over there and I'm here temporarily whereas the wolf is just like yeah welcome to my welcome to my yard <laughs> you know and um yeah so when it comes to changing my character it's it's yeah that's a long answer to that <laughs> to that question God, it's changed a lot <laughs> thank you so much for sharing that I mean you're giving us such a good a beautiful description of nature and the impact that it can have on us when we kind of remove ourselves from all the noise and everything we can learn from the animals and the values they embody naturally naturally yeah. in the patterns yeah. of nature which yeah. is based on you know sacred geometry at yeah. the foundation so um 
I feel like Derek, you're probably gonna like help us wrap the like return. But before we do so, you mentioned a few times. Um, your name is Wolf Haven, and before I think we started recording, you said that wolves are safe. If somebody sees wolves out in nature, can they be like, oh yeah, they're safe, like no problem, or you have to be in tune? Okay, so that's a really great question, and. Um... That's something, see, there's a whole, that question, it takes a really involved answer in a way, because there's a whole history of how humans and wolves have interacted from, from Asia and Europe all the way into when Europeans started arriving in North America. Uh, the wolf, humans started to create stories about wolves. Uh, they started to create rhymes and fairy stories and stories that you told your kids and stuff, but they also started to create, build the wolf as so, uh, we'll say like when, when the first Europeans arrived in North America, the feeling of people, of those people who came, the feeling of Europeans was the wilderness needed to be pushed away to create civilization. Mm -hmm. We're going to go and put our farms and villages and cities eventually, and we're going to beat back the wild and create civilization because civilization is the good thing and the wild is the unknown. And the wild, what did the wild have? It had things like wolves and it had things like unknown indigenous people and dark darkness at night and and that's another thing that I won't get into too much, but they the idea of the wolf so the wolf became the, like the poster boy of the wild, unknown, scary way that we had to beat back. And unfortunately the wolf, sometimes in certain times, the wolf, the word wolf was used for indigenous people because they were like, they were also represented to these naive Europeans that they were the wild. We needed to push them away and beat them back, right? And uh, so, Europeans arrive with this attitude, okay? Humans on the, on the continent, before the Europeans arrived, were interacting with wolves and had a very different interaction and relationship with wolves. They were essentially peers. Wolves were peers. People, you know, they hunted the same types of food. They lived in the same types of ecosystems. The wolves were incredible pack hunters. Humans hunted in packs. Um, have you heard wolves, humans at times have followed wolves to food and other times wolves have followed humans to food. Um, and this is probably one of the reasons why the wolf eventually led to domesticated dogs because they led each other to food. And there's very possibility that there were times when wolf packs and groups of humans were hunting all practically together. They could have been or sharing the same kills and peacefully, like allowing it to happen. Um, so this, this, um, this, this similarity between, between humans and wolves. And so, so the wolf became this symbol of this, this, so, to Europeans, which contradicted this, you know, indigenous people, people who had lived in the Americas, 
lived alongside wolves. A lot of the bands had traditions and legends about what wolves meant and that like wolves were 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 spirit guides like they would come and bring messages there's this like an idea that wolves oh I should have brought this up earlier went through my whole not seeing wolves for 23 years because maybe we only see wolves when they have something to tell us and maybe that's why I didn't see wolves for 23 years because I wasn't ready for the message you know, and I, I feel like I was ready for the message when I finally saw them after 23 years, right? So there's this, you know, these different viewpoints. So the Europeans came with this very foreign idea from North America of what wolves were. They were the enemy. They weren't peers. Like, you know, when you're in a, when you're hunting with spears and arrows and, you know, and, and alongside wolves who are kicking butt over there, you were going to have respect for them. And humans and wolves are not good eating. And humans are not good eating. Like we're not good to eat. We're not, we have hardly any meat on us. It's really stringy and tough. So wolves do not like to eat. We're not definitely not any animal's desired prey. And wolves, the same thing. So there was no reason for them to be natural antagonists. They were peers. They they lived side by side in the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so to get to Bianca's question. If so, if someone was walking in Yellowstone, they're hiking and they come upon a wolf, what should they do? Okay, so generally, for all predators like for bears and wolves, which are in this could apply to tiger, I don't know. <laughs> you're what you're supposed to do is you're you never run away because that could trigger a chase instinct. An animal, a predator that had no intention of chasing you you turn away and run, it triggers something and they think, oh, you're prey. And they there are like, you're acting like my prey. You're running away as soon as you see me. So I'm going to take a little chance maybe and see if I can get you. It triggers it in them. So never run away. What you want to do is stay face towards them, back away, try and find an area where you can back away slowly and make noises like unnatural noises that are going to, like if you have, a noisemaker of any sort, use that. Uh, singing really loud, like people in grizzly country who are really smart will sing constantly and talk loud as they walk and hike so that they don't surprise predators. Uh, so yeah, back away, look large and like they don't, they, they're not gonna wanna mess with you because again, we go into nature and we take our own stories about what nature is and we, we um, put our ideas onto nature. And when Mr. Bear, when Bear and Wolf are walking through the forest and they encounter each other, you know what the standard response is going to be? Oh, I'm going to go this way and you're going to go that way. Like the bear goes one way and the wolf goes the other way. Whereas we think everything out in nature is going to attack us and wants to hunt us and kill us because they're aggressive and that's they're 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 aggressive or violent by nature. Animals are efficient. They're wise and their wisdom lies there in, in their efficiency. And if you watch wolves or bears in documentaries, they don't show that they're aggressive until they suddenly need to be, because it is a waste. Like everything, you could look at it as like a calculation of calories is what i'm about to do worth the calorie expenditure 
And am I going to be able to replace it with what I do? Right? I mean, they're not thinking of that, but do you know what I mean? It's like, is this worth the investment? Right? So going back to that idea of humans are the only ones who can hate, you have two strange humans walking in the forest. Maybe it's their territory. They're going to do all kinds of weird and unpredictable things, way more likely than a bear and a wolf. A bear and a wolf, they're like, I'm not going to get any out of anything, anything out of fighting this thing. There's nothing, this is a waste of my time. This is a waste of energy. There's no reason for me to be doing this right now. Where find, create, dream up reasons to, to be violent against each other, you know, wars and stuff like, and that is, uh, you know, it's just a, so we just have this false perception. So, you know, just giving them their space, backing away and, and being loud that like, don't mess with me. Um, and they're, you know, that is likely what's going to do. You know, if they, if they're, if a wolf is coming at you at speed, it's over. <laughs> However, listen to this. I mean, I know all so many stories about wolves and there is only a handful of recorded wolf attacks, intentional wolf attacks on humans in North America over the last hundred years, a handful. And there's one from, um, the Northwest Territories. I love, you know, I do a lot of my storytelling to families and kids, but I know the, I know these really brutal stories about humans being hunted by wolves, only, only a couple of them. And they're very, very unique cases that are very, very unheard of. Like people, wolves do not attack people. So, okay, if you're ever in the wilderness and you think there's wolves around or you hear wolves howling and you are with one other, other person, they are never gonna attack you, never, okay? Like uh, there's a movie, Frozen, which when it came out, the animated kids movie, Frozen, when it came out, my daughter was just right at the age to start watching movies. And she would watch that movie over and over again. And there was this scene where they're on a sled. It's like in kind of a Scandinavian world and they're in the winter and they're on a sled at night and suddenly there's a wolf pack in the woods and it starts chasing them on this sled. And the sled has, there's two people on the sled with a reindeer pulling the sled. Okay. Basically they, to me, they are calling wolves idiots. Like wow. they're calling wolves idiots and stupid. They're representing wolves as ignorant. Oh yeah. And a wolf pack would never do that. Never. Like it has no, it, it has no conception of what a sled is. Why would it? It's not going to be like, oh, let's just, let's human behavior. That's human behavior. Recklessness, diving in before you know what you're doing. You know, like, ah, let's just do it. Wolves are, wolves see a sled pulled in with people. And they're just like, what is that monstrosity? I'm just going to go over there and like look for fish, you know, like, right? So we have these ideas both. So, so even just to ask the question, so like when you're by, so when you're by yourself, Things are different, but wolves want to have to know you before they hunt you. And humans are unpredictable. We have vehicles, we have guns, we make weird noises, we smell weird. All the products that we, all the clothes that we wear, you know, the ones on Wolf Island are smelling the motorboats, they're smelling gasoline, they're smelling oil, right? They're, it's just, 
humans are so unpredictable. A wolf encounters a bear, predictable. It's in the wolf's instinct to know how to respond to a bear. It knows in its DNA what the bear is likely to do, right? Uh, it's going to attack. It's not going to attack. It's going to run away. The wolf knows how to respond to this. A wolf encounters a human. Every human's different. Every human has, some humans have guns in the wild. Some don't. Some have cars. Some have snowmobiles. Some don't. Some yell. Some smell this way. Some don't. So wolves are just like, I'm not messing with this. I'm, you know, it's not worth their time. So to think when we think that wolves are going to attack us, that's just our typical humans putting ourselves at the center of the story. It's all about me. You know, <laughs> they're going to waste their time attacking little old me, right? Yeah. Be yourself. There's no meat here. There's there's no marble beef here. Like there's this is not good eating. <laughs> Okay, Wolf Haven, today you wanted to share with us this website that you're you're launching and a lot of people are going to have accessibility to some of your creations and the projects you're putting out in yes. the world. Yes, yes. Can you like to share a little bit with us what this is about and what can people expect to see from you? Um, because obviously you have so much to share about wolves. You've learned everything mm -hmm. to experience and you deliver everything that you hold um so what what can we find and where can we find it so wolfhaven.ca wolfhaven.ca that you know i only decided on the wolfhaven name this month or december and then i started working on it and that that domain name was waiting for me uh wolfhaven.ca it was waiting for me i was really surprised that it was actually available and, but it was there and you know, simple. So on there, I'm working on it. I was working on it today. And there's going to be a whole like a storytelling repertoire. There's going to be a page about the hero's journey, all about my wolf encounters, upcoming projects. Um, so I got I'm in the Winnipeg Fringe Festival again this year doing a 60 minute show, storytelling show. I did it. It was my debut last year. So I'm going to be doing the show again. Uh, so there's going to be announcements about that. Uh, ways to contact me and, and hire me for gigs if you want um, and yeah and all then all the thing like I'll have um, what I'm hoping to do is if I'm working on a new project I'm gonna put parts of the project like little snippets of stuff that I'm working on um, yeah and as I build more you know more content and more do more things videos and posts and yeah we'll see uh, it's for me and a part of my a big part of my journey I know for many artists is taking that step to go from being very feeling very good about what you're creating but then stepping out of your house and taking it to the world it yeah. takes a lot of stones takes a lot of a lot of guts to do that I definitely know that for myself and that's been tough the marketing and just say like you know like I said when I had the dark night of the soul like there's no storytellers around here. Are you kidding me? <laughs> like, you know, who am I? I'm not a storyteller, but now I, I'm ready. You know, I'm, I'm doing it. And uh, so the Wolf Haven, and like I said, it just, it just all came together. You know, that yeah. name and my last name being Havens. That's awesome. The fact that I go to this Wolf Island and it is like a Wolf Haven that I'm passionate about wolves and talk about wolves. So I'm 
uh, out telling you protect our wolves, you know, so like a haven for wolves. And also it's just a really cool, fun, mysterious storyteller name, right? <laughs> it is cool. It is cool. And I can attest from having experienced your storytelling that it's a whole experience. So I hope that people who are listening to this are going to check it out because mm -hmm. while it so effortlessly also so it does seem like it's kind of this very natural thing which is is mm. usually related to some sort of yeah I definitely I like I said the, the the step of wolf like wolf haven like it was it took a lot of guts for me and all but what helped me was that I felt like I earned that name like before when I was thinking about a stage name or a persona of storyteller name I felt like it would be fake like I was just like you know pretending or just or doing it too early too soon and now with all these things that have happened I know I feel like I've earned that name and I'm ready to use it and go out in the world and anytime you see something that says Wolf Haven presents that's me so all my all my shows all my workshops in the future will say will be Wolf Haven presents and then whatever it is um, yeah Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for your time. Um, Matthew, aka now known as Wolfhaven. Yes, uh, thank you. And we want to close with the final question. And that's through all of these stories, um, this life journey that you have lived beyond wolves. This includes the time in the military, your time raising, your daughter is now in grade seven, your whole life experience the highs and the lows, what has been the greatest life lesson you've learned on the path that you feel called in this moment to share with the audience? So many, so many lessons, so many lessons. Get one. You mentioned, you mentioned my daughter. Yeah, just, I only get one. <laughs> you mentioned my daughter and um, I, I don't know if I talked about my daughter much uh, during this thing. I don't think I did, but I will now. And um you know, like she is, lo she loves dogs. We don't even own a dog, but she's so much learning about dogs. And like, I'm, I'm the wolf expert. She's becoming the dog expert. And we just have this, like, you know, I mean, she loves wolves and we watch documentaries about wolves and read books about wolves together and all kinds of things. And I can't wait to take her to that Island. But I had an epiphany and I mentioned it earlier about my understanding and relationship with women in my life and female energies and the female energy that energies that I encounter in other people and myself, the, you know, the female traits, the female energies, the divine, the divine goddess, you know, the divine feminine um, that is in, in all of us, whether we express it or show it or develop it. Um, and I, was talking about how I left my coaching business behind. And then I went, I had an epiphany a couple of years ago. And this came from a couple of reasons. It came from my, my effort to really strengthen my relationship with my daughter. And also Kayla, who you met, she's my colleague and like best friend. And she's the witch and we're the wolf and the witch together. You met us storytelling together. We go to festivals together. And that platonic friendship has just changed my life. Like my perspective on people, on women, on female energy 
Um, and so my new relationship with my daughter, and then this, okay. I'm reading about story structure. I'm reading about myths. I'm reading about wherever I read it in a couple different books, okay? And in the story, The Odyssey, written by Homer, there's a character called Mentes. And this is the, where the word mentor comes from, okay? Mentes. And Mentes was the teacher of the king's son. He was the, the tutor. But he also gave advice and hung out with the king and gave advice to the king, okay? And, but when Mentes went to the king and gave the most important advice a couple times in the story, the key advice that made him decide what to do, it wasn't Mentes who went. It was the goddess Athena that took the form of Mentes and went to the king. And that was when he got the advice that he used and moved forward. And so I learned some, like I just, once I, I, and it wasn't right when I read it, it was kind of like it stuck with me and I started to think about it. And then there was a moment where it just all crashed into me. Like, Matthew, you gave up that coaching business five years ago because you weren't ready to be a mentor because you didn't know how to channel the divine goddess yet. You didn't know how to relate to this female energy in the world. And through my strengthening relationship with my daughter and this best friend and, and this epiphany and this understanding through story and mythology of this goddess Athena who took meant the form of Mentes to give the advice was just spoke to me in such a powerful way that this was what is now happening to me, that my final step or final, a huge step in my growth, not a final step, because it never ends. It was this connection I'm, I was creating with female divine energy in the world. And through my she-wolf story and all these new female friends that I have, and I'm, I'm single romantically right now, and I have been for a while because it's been part of my journey, uh, learning a new way to relate to women uh, and female energies and it's uh i mean that epiphany and like i said mentes mentorship and mentorship is on my list of values and i didn't add that value until i had this epiphany until i had this realization that i am changed now because of these steps i took to to find the other side of myself to find the other side of the human world <laughs> well not the other side but the other a big part of the human energy in this world, the feminine energy that is everywhere, all over, you know, in men and women and everything. And uh, yeah, and that it was just, it, the, that's the synergy. That's what I'm the synergy that I'm talking about, how the stuff, you know, I found this, this story, this message in, in my study of story structure and mythology and it just, how it just directly related to what was happening in my life at the exact same time. And I just, it was just incredible. And it's a lesson that I love to talk about and share with people. Because that myth that Homer, that story of the Odyssey is written, it's 3000 years old. And it has these motifs, these symbols, these images that you can look back at and and say, yeah, this is human behavior. And it's all coded in these characters and these, 
these stories and these mysteries of legend and and it's amazing okay thank you so your biggest life lesson is recently it has been about learning about this feminine energy mm -hmm. thank you thank you for sharing that do we have one last question for wolf haven yeah i have to see some stuff you did down there for you okay um okay Any questions sure yeah all right um in three words how would you describe the experience you're having on this earth? In 30 words or three? You are allowed three, three words. words. One, two, three. <laughs> That's it. Uh, <laughs> you, uh, oh, geez. This, uh, these, these types of questions are so challenging because I'm a storyteller. <laughs> <laughs> three words that describe the journey on this earth. Friendship is one. Uh, learning and nature. Friendship, learning, and nature. Beautiful. Friendship, learning, and nature. Yeah, there's a lot in that. I feel like that really. <laughs> The yeah there is a lot in that <laughs> and i have a last question before we conclude so we are going to do this little time traveling thing where we're going to bring you to your 85 year old version self of yourself right and um that 85 year old version of yourself is going to whisper to you something some life advice or some some advice for you, something that they want to let you know. What do they say? They say, Matthew, stop and look. Look around you. Uh -huh. and let it in. Oh. <laughs> Beautiful. Beautiful. I feel like that's a beautiful conclusion to this whole mm -hmm. conversation. Um, I don't really have anything to add to this. I feel like that's, just, that's it. That's it so, right yeah, there. This has been incredible. I'm so happy about this. Uh, you guys, you folks invited me on to talk to you and to talk. You know what? I was, you know, I have a, a little sign I wrote before this thing um, that says slow down because I often talk way too fast. And, and then I just wrote right below that, on a spur of the moment, wisdom equals humility. And, you know, sometimes you, you hang out with a group of people and you walk away and you go, oh, there's that guy who, that person who only said a few things. They were, there's some kind of guru or something, you know? They, did, they barely spoke, but the stuff they said meant something, right? And it had meaning because it wasn't just constant words, right? So the I'm definitely learning that as a mentor that a lot of the time I'm not talking. That's not my role as a mentor. But so to be invited to talk for an hour all about myself is awesome. <laughs> it's a you know it's fun because it's like woo. <laughs>
Exactly. Well, thank you so much for sharing so much of yourself today. That was awesome for Derek and I as well. And I hope that our listeners enjoyed too. Um, for people who want to find you and um, get in touch with the beautiful offerings you're sharing now that we're super excited about, they can find you at wolfhaven.ca. That's right. Yes, exactly. And there's going to be contact information on there. And Perfect. all kinds of information about me and what I'm working on. And uh, to conclude every episode on the Welcome to the Winter Circle podcast, we end up with a fist pump together. So uh, <laughs> yeah, let's just bring it in. <laughs> yeah, right to the camera. Boom. <laughs> awesome. Right on. So much um, for your time. Yeah. Awesome. You, folks, you folks are so great. I love your positivity and what you're doing with these, these podcasts. So, so great. I'm so grateful to be a part of it. Thank you so much. Until next time. Bye. Thank you. Bye.